it's worth remembering that putting a stranger in your car or putting a stranger on your couch or in a different room in your house was a crazy idea until the likes of Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, etc. And so this yeah. idea of taking these really expensive fixed assets and giving them a new life is really exciting for us. And then creating revenue generating opportunities for an institution like a school district that previously is underfunded in many capacities is also very motivating. Now, this is about this is not about using public transit buses. This is about using school buses that are not doing anything for 80% of their life and districts that need more revenue and bus drivers that are looking for more work and using technology to on a driver app, basically give drivers the ability to choose what kind of work they wanna do that week on that school bus. Do you wanna transport students in the morning and then deliver packages in the afternoon and do a birthday party in the evening? Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mobility Innovator Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and future forecast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the school transportation market in North America. Our today guest is a co-founder and CEO of BusRide. He ideated the company in the high school and built the foundation of the bus ride during his time at Northeastern University in Boston. BusRide is a technology startup reshaping the student transportation industry with its routing software, real-time GPS, dynamic driver navigation via military gate tablet, and a bus tracking app for the parents. He has held role on both sides of the venture ecosystem by serving as the president of Entrepreneur Club in the college to working as an analyst at Mass Mutual Venture, a fellow for Underscore VC, and venture director for Region at Deep Tech Hub. I'm so happy to welcome Keith Corso, co-founder and CEO at BusRide. Now it's time to listen and learn. Hello, Keith. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. I mean, I mentioned to you, it's so good to see. We are connecting after two years and I was following your journey throughout this period. It's, it's so impressive what you have built in last two years. Thank you so much. And I know a lot has happened in the world of transportation, not just school bus transportation the last few years. So hopefully we can learn from each other uh, over the next hour or two. That's the purpose of this conversation, learning from each other. And uh, why don't we just kickstart with your personal journey? And uh, it's so impressive because you completed your Bachelor of Science in Finance from Northeastern University in Boston. And you work as an intern at Mass Mutual Venture. But uh, after your graduation, like a lot of people join a company as an employee, do job, but you decided to become an entrepreneur. You took a very unconventional path, I would say, or or very risk-taking uh, or risk journey. So I'm curious to know what motivated you to start company immediately after the graduation, like instead of taking experience and going into corporate. And also, I'm I'm very curious to find any interesting fact about you, which you haven't published on the on the LinkedIn, because you are quite public in that way. You post a lot of things on the LinkedIn, but anything you are still hiding from the public. <laughs> if I'm hiding it from the public, why would I share it here? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's a loaded question, but I, I've spent the better part of my life learning about our nation's largest mass transit system, which is uh, school buses. In mm. fact, during the second semester, my senior year in high school, uh, 
I was able to pursue bus ride as my capstone project. So I left school 30 minutes early every day and was able to speak to bus drivers, routers, directors, dispatchers, superintendents, IT directors. It's actually how I met my co-founder, which I'll get to a little bit later on. But needless to say, you know, the challenges that I experienced with my school bus growing up and the relationship I had with my bus driver, realizing just how the underbelly of our K-12 system is just crumbling and needs help, um, prompted me again to pursue this as my capstone in high school. And then these conversations got me even more excited about supporting the transportation directors, routers, dispatchers, and many other stakeholders that are involved in this logistics business that is practically run in the basement of these school districts. Now, the only reason that I went to Northeastern University was to build bus ride. In fact, I remember uh, I got the admitted students day agenda and okay. there was only one event that I went to at Northeastern, which was the Husky Startup Challenge Introduction Workshop. And so for an hour, I was able to learn from the directors of that program, learn about the entrepreneurship ecosystem, not only at Northeastern, but also the broader Boston ecosystem and just realize this is an unbelievable place to build a company and meet potential future team members and investors and so on. So found myself at Northeastern first semester. I dove right into the Husky Startup Challenge, was fortunate enough to place first in that and got a $2,500 check. It was more money than I could ever imagine. And that really was our launch pad to continuing to build the business and having the conviction and the confidence to pursue this all throughout college and since graduating uh, accordingly. Now, be, going to Northeastern, not only was it a great breeding ground for building the business directly, but I knew there were so many other facets of operating a startup in particular that I would need to learn. And so ended up being the president of the Entrepreneurs Club, the largest club on campus, uh, analyst at Mass Mutual Ventures during Northeastern's uh, six-month co-op program, venture director for Origin, which is Northeastern's deep tech hub, and again, just wanted to educate myself on all the aspects of the startup ecosystem uh, and the venture building process so I could be more effective as an operator um, as the days went by. And of course, as graduation came around and when I dove into Bustrite uh, more full time. Now, that doesn't exactly answer your question about what motivated me to start Bustrite, but I think that in startup world, we often talk about product market fit. Yeah. Be to the listeners that don't know what that is, when you reach product market fit, it's that you built a product that actually has some repeatable demand, yep. meaning you are selling that product. Ideally, not only the founder is selling and you're able to close meaningful revenue, call it at least $50,000 in new annual recurring revenue every month, though, depending on the business, that number can shift. Now, I like to think about motivation stage fit. It doesn't quite ring like product market fit, but Founders might build a business for one reason, and because the challenges that they work on change dramatically every several months, yeah. and because the business and the product evolve so fast, your motivation has to evolve with the stage that your business is at. You might get started for a very specific, narrow reason because you want to solve X problem, but now you're running a much bigger operation. Your work is wildly different. The product has iterated and pivoted several times over. So how do you continue to find motivation? And frankly, mm -hmm. it's never a guarantee that you're going to have that motivation stage fit as the company evolves. Now, with all that to say, you know, I think for me, there's like three main categories of motivation. 
Number yeah. one, serving people who have been neglected by technology and are severely underserved and underappreciated. The yeah. routers, the directors, the drivers, and everyone else involved in student transportation, they work all day, all night long. They're usually there on the weekends, and most people don't even know that they exist. And so making their lives easier, making them the heroes that they are in their community just yeah. brings myself and the rest of our team a ton of joy and fulfillment. Number two is team as far as motivation. You know, this can't be a motivator early on because it's just yourself and maybe a couple of other folks. However, you know, as you start to hire and work with people who are significantly smarter than you and who are experts in their craft and start to make the company their own, to me, it's a truly a magical moment. And so mm. in that vein, what motivates me is seeing how Busrate can be a launch pad for people's careers and oh, yeah. frankly, lifelong friendships. So I'll wrap up here in 30 seconds. But the third, I would say, you know, it, it'd be ridiculous if I didn't mention like financial freedom for an entrepreneur mm. as being a, a, a key motivator. If you're building a company to first and foremost acquire significant wealth, I think you have the wrong idea. Yeah. The probability of creating general wealth, generational wealth from building a startup is very slim, but many entrepreneurs are, are fueled by this possibility so they can continue to build, operate, or invest more into their current venture or future businesses with a lot less constraints. So th those are a few answers there. I know I didn't touch on every single one of those, but uh, I'll, I'll pause. No, but these are these are great points. I'm so impressed because something which you mentioned about motivation stage fit, it's it's very true because a lot of time founders start with some idea, but then there is a fatigue come into the picture and then they, they fizzle out. So you have to find a new motivation at every stage. And what you mentioned about uh, serving the client and then team and then financial freedom. So there are there are different stages of it. And it's great to see how did you actually choose your college to build your company. It's not other way around. It's not that you went to the college and you build the company, but you actually decided to pick this uh, Northeastern college because you want to build your company. So you were so passionate from the college. So why don't we now discuss about your venture, Bus Right? Uh, it's it's an exciting name. Can you tell me more about what your venture all about? Because you a little bit mentioned about school bus transportation. And I love your point about it's a national big or national mass transit system, which is serving so many people. Why did you launch this startup in the school bus space? Because you mentioned you did the Keystone project, but what struck you there? And you say like, okay, man, I need to solve this problem. Yeah, definitely. So I, I left that on a cliffhanger intentionally because I had figured that <laughs> got around here. So thank you, you teed me up. So my, my bus driver, Joy, was one of my best friends growing up. And when Joy retired, I watched as substitute driver after new driver would jump into that school bus and they're staring at these physical paper route sheets that you're probably familiar with having yeah. studied space. These route sheets are, you know, have 10 point font with stop notes and directions written on a piece of paper, maybe typed out if you're lucky. And at six o'clock in the morning in New York, it's pitch blackout and you have to match that 10 point font to a mailbox number that's probably hidden behind a bush or a tree anyway. And you're transporting our nation's most precious cargo. And so after my stop was skipped so many days in a row, while also trying to figure out how am I gonna get to school? And then also watch as these drivers would just quit and they kept leaving the industry. Mm -hmm. I realized that it wasn't the driver's fault that student transportation was failing in our community. 
It was more that they didn't have the right resources and tooling to do what they do best, which in my opinion is focusing on the road ahead of them and building relationships with those kiddos on the bus. Hmm. They should not be fumbling with these paper route sheets that have known to fly out the window or to be sweaty under their lap, you know, their lap or whatnot. And so needless to say, it was this early kind of uh, observation of these paper route sheets that led me down this path of realizing how archaic, how static and inefficient this transit system truly is, and just how much of an impact we can have if we built a driver app that runs on a tablet, that provides drivers with safe and reliable turn-by-turn directions, that's engineered for a school bus asset. So any driver, including the two of us, can jump on any route that has a bus right tablet on it, on the bus in any state that we're in, and know that we're going to get those kiddos to school safely and efficiently every day. And so we really started with that idea of just empowering drivers. And we pride ourselves on being the only company in the market that started and still remains their core focus of empowering drivers. Because when you do that, you really impact everyone else in the community, whether it's the folks in the transportation office, parents, school administration, et cetera. Now, as we started working with those drivers, the director, the router, the dispatcher said, well, I want to be able to see where my buses, drivers, and kiddos are in real time. I want to be able to build those routes in under 60 seconds. I want to predict and see where what time this bus is going to arrive at any future stop. Yeah. I no longer want hundreds of parents calling me every day, wondering where their child is. And as we just kept building bus right, we started unpacking more and more challenges that were plaguing our largest mass transit system. And we kept building technology to make those folks in that office, the heroes that they are, um, by enabling them to do what they do best. So it's a long-winded answer to a short question, but that's one of the you know couple of ways that we uh, you know got excited about bus ride. I'll, I'll add another layer onto this. So when I was pursuing bus ride as a capstone project uh, in high school, one of the folks that I spoke to was a guy by the name of Phil Dunn. He hmm. was a CIO and tech director for Stanford Public Schools, and the week before I met him. He had spent $70,000 on a traffic study just to figure out how to optimize their bus routes. And they had people just holding these clickers at different bus stops yeah. and at intersections. And that was their way of creating this you know, optimization study. Not only that, but he was one of the top 10 largest customers of the incumbent routing company in the industry. And then on top of that, what stood out to me was just Phil's connection to this problem He grew up in the Bronx when it had the highest crime rate in the country, and he credits a school bus route for transporting him to a district outside of the Bronx, which ultimately enabled him to go study, you know, at Cornell, Columbia, Seton Law School, and just this whole notion that a school bus is so much more than our mode of transportation is school, but it really opens up opportunity when you think about it in a different light. So both of us have kind of come at this. He is now my co-founder, just to seal the, the, the envelope on that. And the, the two of us have been building bus right to, you know, give school buses a, I think, a different life. Mm. It's 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 a perfect combination of uh, energy and expertise, I would say. He has that expertise and you brought that energy and passion into the business. No, that, that's very interesting what you mentioned about uh, the bus ride, how you are focusing on empowering drivers, because that's a key, that they are the person who are on the road helping uh, 
kids to reach the school on time and they need to face a lot of these challenges. So how to make their job easier? Once their job easier, everybody else's job will get easier. So that's that's great. You are, you are mentioning this about, point about largest mass transit uh, system in the country. And it's very true because when I was checking the data, in US alone, there are 50 million K-12 students in public school and there are 5.8 million in private school. So it's in total, it's like 57 million students or kids which need to be transported every day. And, and it's play a very important role. Like you mentioned, uh, they are carrying the most precious cargo in the country. So I, I, I like that point because it's like they are carrying the future of the country and providing access to education. What are the key challenge you see the school transportation phase? Because when you did the Keystone project or now also you are you are working in this space, what are the challenges you see and how you see technology can help to solve some of these challenges? Something you already alluded about removing the paper and uh, providing more uh, real-time data, but what are the key challenges you see broader level and how technology is helping to solve that? Yeah, so number one, driver shortage. Number two, overwhelming parent demands. Number three, increasing route complexity. To someone that doesn't spend their life in this industry, what does it actually mean? Driver shortage. So I'd say any of our customers across the country on any given day have somewhere between 10 to 30% fewer drivers than they need to transport their students. And oftentimes they don't know what drivers at three in the morning are gonna call out that day because they're mm. sick, or they're you know, driving a bus a part-time job or for many other reasons. Now, understanding why the driver shortage in this industry is, is so acute is, is critical. So in no order of importance, during COVID, a lot of these drivers, the average age of the school bus driver is over 60. Mm. And a lot of them drove a school bus for retirement or they drove a school bus because it was fun and they liked building relationships with those kids. When COVID hits, if they're retired and they're that age, they and, and they don't necessarily need the money, it's not worth the health risk. Mm. And it used to be a very fun job building relationships with students, but during COVID, they're now behind a glass wall and their students are wearing masks. And frankly, you know, the, the mental health has been a significant, you know, challenge and, and building relationships with those kiddos during such a difficult time when they're totally sheltered and isolated was very challenging for a bus driver. So that's number one. Number two, if you have a CDL, a commercial driver's license, you make the least amount of money as a school bus driver yep. than any other job on the market. Why won't you work at Amazon or Uber or name the, any other last mile delivery, et cetera, job that you can do at, with a CDL? You'll make more and there's less certifications and hoops that you have to jump through. So it takes a lot more effort to be a bus driver and get your CDL, but you're paid less. Hmm. And so when you layer those things together, along with the final reason, in my opinion, which is this compounds, meaning when there's fewer drivers, the drivers who are left in that fleet, their job and the pressure they have on the job increase dramatically. If you are driving a bus and there's a hundred buses in your fleet, you want 100 drivers. You actually want like 100, 510 for spares, but you want 100 drivers. If there's 70 that show up tomorrow, all of a sudden the director has now given you multiple paper route sheets for you to ultimately have no idea where you're going. Parents yelling at you all day long 
calling the transportation office saying, you have no idea what you're doing. You should be fired, right? So these drivers are under even more pressure, mm-hmm. making the job even less fulfilling. And all that to say, when again, you layer all these things on top of each other, you get to a place where we're at right now, where districts like the largest one in Kentucky just had to close down school for the first week of school because of how difficult the driver shortage is by and large. And that's number one. Number two is overwhelming parent demands. What happens when there's 70 drivers when there should be a hundred? Yeah. Well, you're late to a lot of those bus stops. Those parents are late to work. Worse off, you don't even get to those bus stops. Those kids can't even get to school. And oftentimes in communities that there isn't someone at home that's either a caregiver or, you know, there to take care of the child full time or or children full time. How does that child actually get to school? Right. So it creates even more demands there and nerves for those parents when they can't rely on that transportation system. The implications are districts like Boston Public Schools end up spending over six hundred thousand dollars a year for their call center just in their transportation office. Mm. So I've met the 28 folks that sit around a big oval table and they pick up the phone from angry parents wondering where their child is, how they're going to get to school. And you can't even believe some of the, um, the the concerns these folks have that are just happening every day in plain sight, right? Yeah, yeah. Finally, increasing route complexity. So in an era where more and more students have IEPs, individualized education plans, or special need requirements, or split custody arrangements because they're divorced and now they have to go to different parents' homes on different days, plus grandma's house on every other Wednesday, plus the YMCA on the first Wednesday of every month when it's cold out. I'm kidding with that last one. (laughs) All that to say, um, you have so many competing variables that make routing incredibly complex And in this era, parents demand that level of personalization, which doesn't work with the current model of transportation that's largely pen and paper map on a wall with pins with string connecting it and or archaic, you know, technology that was built several decades ago that takes six to nine months to learn. So where does technology actually fit into that? With the driver shortage, you can put a tablet on each bus. So regardless Hmm. of what drivers show up, they at least know exactly where they're going who they're picking up, et cetera. With overwhelming parent demands, give them a parent app. So yeah. they know exactly where that bus is and they get live ETA updates accordingly. Mm. With increasing route complexity, build routing technology so that they can easily ingest all of the new students into their routing system and then easily place them on different stops and routes accordingly, right? That's not on a paper map on a wall or, or so on. So it's not as easy as I just made it out to seem, but there's a lot that technology can do to tackle a lot of those issues and come back to making those folks in the office do what they do best and the heroes that they are. And that's, that's I, I must confess something. Before this discussion, I used to feel that public transit is more complex than school transportation. And I used to feel school transportation is easy, like you just run buses to route, pick up and drop, and then it's done. But after after your point, now I feel like, man, your job is even tougher than what the the public transportation system do because they are just running the same route every day through and uh, forth. And for you, the kind of uh, variable you mentioned about split custody and 
peak days are different the the driver shortest 10 to 30% which is which is i think a norm right now you want to say add something yeah no no i sorry to cut you off there but we haven't even gotten to the students that have allergies students yeah. that sit next to a specific student um students that require wheelchair accessible vehicles mm. we haven't even talked about the issue around maintaining buses mm. we at bus right don't you know focus on much of that right now but these school districts have full-time teams of mechanics because buses are constantly breaking down i was just spending the day in uh, new jersey yesterday with one of our uh, uh, several of our customers but one where they had several buses break down at one moment and um. they didn't have enough buses <laughs> to to, for the mechanics to bring new buses to that site it was pouring rain how are you going to transport these students how do you notify parents that were now delayed and on another road, the tree fell down. So those parents also need to know, but they don't even know who's on the bus. So all that to say, the, you know, the, the complexities are enormous. And when you uh, layer on, again, all the competing demands and challenges, it, it just becomes a, a really big headache for school districts. And, and also, I think the biggest complexity is that uh, these are small kids. So then the safety became much more important. It's not just like uh, they're adult and they can take care of things. Like you mentioned, if the bus is delay, everybody will get panic. Is like where the kids are, and then the parents also need to plan their day. They need to leave for the job. They need to pick up their kids. So, so it's it's complex, man. Uh, you're doing great job, and and the driver shortage. I think one point you mentioned, which I never thought about, which is like an aha moment for me, when you said the mental health of drivers, and the drivers were doing this job because they were social animals and they want to interact with kids, but now they are in a in a small different glass and the kids are away and there is not much interaction and i think it's happening in all kind of uh, mobility system when the interaction is reducing so the driving is not fun anymore and the mental health issues are coming and it became less and less uh, attractive so it's it's a it's a very good point uh, which i never thought uh, can be one of the reason for the driver shortage so thanks for sharing that now the second big challenge like you mentioned the school bus districts are facing is the cost the breakdowns and the operation and maintenance, the they need to pay extra money to the drivers to attract them because uh, if there's a driver shortage, they are giving bonuses, sign-up bonuses and all. So there is a also a pressure on the school bus district because there is a reduced funding now that to reduce the transportation cost and improve efficiency. And it's like a competing factor. How are you using, like you mentioned about your goal should be to fill more and more seat in the bus so that you can reduce the cost. And you also want to increase the on-time performance because that's only drive the customer satisfaction. And you mentioned 600,000 for call center, that's too much, but but you have so many calls. But if your on-time performance will improve, those customer call will reduce. So how you are using this seat utilization data and level of on-time performance to improving the schedule efficiency, I would say scheduling efficiency, as well as improving the satisfaction level of the customer. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this answer in a different direction. Yeah. Which is our focus isn't as much on seat utilization, rather ensuring that every student, regardless of their unique transportation needs, has the ability to access their education every day. So what does that actually mean tactically? Yeah. It's really pie in the sky. And it's really nice to think about oh, seat utilization and fuel efficiency, et cetera. But we're so far from being able to think about the icing on the cake. We just need to get to a place where districts can rely on transportation 
to get mm-hmm. kids to school. So what we do is we every school district in the U.S. has a SIS, a student information system. For folks that know what a CRM is, the customer relationship management platform that has yeah. all the information about your customers and prospects, et cetera. You know, it's basically that, but for students at a school, they know you, your parents, split custody arrangements, special need requirements, what homeroom you're in, the list goes on. And so we ingest all of that into bus right every night for all of our customers so that our customers can make sense of, oh, I have five new students in the district. These five need a wheelchair accessible vehicle. I have three students that enter the district. These three need X, Y, Z. So we basically break down what work do they need to do to route what Mm. students and then display those routes accordingly so they can easily assign them to existing stops or create new ones in an efficient manner. Now, historically, when you're on pen and paper, you don't know all of these different variables. Mm. With technology, now you can actually understand each student's transportation needs and make sure they're being met and they're placed on a route. And the second you click save and bus right, it automatically shows up on that tablet literally within one second with a driver that they can just click start navigation. So I come back to your question of seat utilization, fuel efficiency. We are very excited about the work that we're doing in that vein. However, our calling first and foremost is making sure students have access to their education and districts can rely on their transportation system. And that comes down to ingesting data and making it very easily understandable, that's even a word, for the folks in the transportation office and therefore show up on the right tablet at the right time for the right driver so they pick up the right student and get them to school. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you and I I correct myself because that's more important. That should be the service motto is like how the the student can uh, reach on time and uh, have uh, access to the classroom and school rather than just focusing on filling all the seat. But but at the same time, once your service level improve, it's like a consequence of that. So once your service performance will improve, a lot of students will start relying on the buses and, and the things will start getting better down. Now, you are implementing new technology in school district, uh, and, and I know they are your prime target. But other side is it can be very challenging because they are not equipped with everything. And and implementing any new technology required a lot of change management and process and rethinking. What are the some common challenges school district might face when they adopt bus ride system because it's a new technology for them? So do they need any training? And how does the company help them to overcome those, uh, those uh, challenges? And if I may add, I would love to hear some case studies where you actually went to some school district and you find like system is in not very good shape and with the with the technology now they are doing much better or improve everything yeah so you know the the chaos that we've been discussing here for the last 37 minutes in the world of student transportation both helps and hurts a company like bus right in that it makes the needs more apparent not only to transportation but the rest of the district and community So the funding and the motivation to solve those problems is heightened. However, the reality is that the driver shortage is is so difficult that um, most of the folks in the transportation office that would be responsible for routing, 
dispatch, parent communication, implementing and onboarding with bus right, those folks are oftentimes having to drive most of the week, if not every day. Mm. So how do you successfully roll out new technology across several stakeholders when the folks responsible for championing that project are constantly running around with their hair on fire? That's the biggest challenge for us when you talk about how do we, you know, the, 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 like what are the issues of adopting, you know, a product like BusRate? How do we overcome that? Well, constantly focus on simplicity. We pride ourselves on the ability for anyone, regardless of your level of tech savviness, to learn BusRite in under 15 minutes. Hmm. And every important thing in BusRite, whether it's an action or an insight that you want to gather, is usually two clicks from the home screen. Hmm. You want to see where all of your buses are right now. It's one click from the home screen on our live map. You want to build a new route from scratch, one click away from the home screen. You want to communicate with parents, the bus is running late. It's one click from the home screen. So we try to make the product super simple so anyone can learn it because these folks don't have time to sit through hours and hours of training. Um, so that's one way that we try to help. Mm -hmm. um, the other way is, uh, and then back to your other question of like case studies and stories, there's a couple that kind of stick out as I'm thinking out loud here. One is, you know, when I get to visit transportation uh, sites where certain drivers like English isn't their first language and now they're so much more confident and comfortable taking on new work whether it's field trips sporting events being okay with their routes being merged because mm. now they can just click start navigation and get those directions that are built directly for a school bus and their route that's really empowering right because now they don't have to do dry runs for several weeks to feel comfortable and confident. It's all just one click away on that tablet. Uh, the second kind of story that I'll share that comes top of mind here is, you know, when we, we've, had, we've had parents reach out and they're like, you know, their kids use they, their parent app. The kids use it every morning because now they can figure out their own schedule of when they should arrive at the bus stop. And we had this one parent that was a teacher in a nearby district and her two daughters uh, use bus ride to walk out, they were in middle school for the first time mm. ever without their parent because they knew exactly when the bus was coming. And she said to me, you know, that level of independence that they can find because of a tool like BusRite is just so inspiring for her, right? So all that to say, like, when you see these different stories of how your product is being used above and beyond what you could even imagine, that is coming back to your first question of our discussion, a, a huge motivator for myself. Yeah, no, that that these are these are really inspiring stories, or I would say the the examples of how technology can make your life easier. And I love your point about uh, not spending time on training, but making the product so easy that they can just onboard in fifteen minutes. Because sometimes we make systems so complex that it need hours and hours of training. And and you rightly mentioned when there is a fire on their hair, they they can't just focus on and sit in the room and learn. So they need quick solution, and that's what you're doing, and uh, solving that like giving confidence to driver that I don't need to worry about new route or new pickup, and they will they will go in a happy mood if if I <laughs> if I'm struggling to find a a route or bus stop, I'll be in stress, and then you will not uh, focus on your job. But but if you empower them to make your life easier they will be happy and and go so so that's a nice point thanks thanks uh, keith for sharing that now let's discuss about uh, 
the alternative to school buses because it's a huge market uh, and there is not much innovation was happening but we saw recently like uh, some of the new startup like zoom and uh, hop skip drive they try to become like a uber for school students and uber for student they they try to offer ride sharing services for kids but both the companies have pivoted their model and uh, recently both of them raised a big funding round in last 15 month uh, they are kind of also tackling this problem in a different way i think they are kind of bit of a competition to you at the same time they can be collaborator i don't know you can tell me better but how do you see this space will evolve in coming year because we didn't see much of disruption in the school bus space for a long time and what are the some of the emerging trend you are seeing or you are betting on you feel like okay these are the trend trends for next 5 to 10 year which will be important for for bus ride and for for you as to build the company yeah so when we started bus ride it was and we were building a driver app that would be on a, that would run on a tablet that would be affixed to the dashboard of a bus it was illegal to put a tablet on a bus hmm So when you talk about what are we betting on, we bet the house <laughs> that that we were building a product that was illegal. And you know, it it takes a level of conviction and confidence to do something that is illegal and in an industry that has not changed in so many ways, especially yeah. from a regulatory perspective. So needless to say, not only is it not illegal now, but there are states that are funding our customers to buy our technology because of how much safer and more efficient they deem that driver app to be than outdated and static paper route sheets. Mm-hmm. So needless to say like we took a bet several years ago and uh, it's been exciting to see regulation catch up to what is truly better for these communities and what's better for these transportation teams. Now our bet in that vein was we want to empower these existing fleets because a you know most of our customers are frankly in the middle like super rural Idaho, Iowa, Missouri, Mississippi, the list goes on many states where there's not a whole lot of demand for like public transit routes or other transportation systems or Uber or Lyft or other transportation work that would make a more multimodal system Uh, work well like it might in a city so that we our whole goal was how do we just empower that existing fleet with technology so that they can operate more efficiently and, and safely so needless to say the bet that we made was was partly twofold one tablets yeah. that would power those drivers and two we're not going to change the actual mechanics of the fleet itself mm. and the structure of the fleet we're going to make those vehicles and those people a lot more efficient and better at what they already do now in that vein one of the other trends that we're betting on is in the future like the consolidation of fleet management primarily mm. school districts so you have these routers and dispatchers and directors that are constantly driving and they don't have enough bandwidth to truly serve in that role unfortunately so we believe in a vision where you can have a couple of master routers and one director and maybe a couple of secretaries that can manage a much larger portfolio of school mm. bus district owned fleets and i know we're seeing consolidation and you are as well on the private bus contractor side but yeah. we want to bring 
that level of consolidation and efficiency to these school districts via technology so that it's not about taking away jobs. It's about helping solve the challenges in an existing labor shortage market. That's interesting. I, and I think I think there is opportunity because sometimes I feel there is a lot of duplication of resources. At the same time, there is a there is less resources available at the school district level. So if you can combine and consolidate some of these resources, actually you can serve the the students better way. The driver shortage can be reduced. And then I don't know if you're also planning to have the same bus can pick up the different school students, like they can pick students from the different schools. That's also your vision. That's also the play you want to do. We want to do a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, we have, a, we have a vision of, you know, repurposing school buses so that in the 80% of the time that they're sitting there doing nothing, they can actually turn into public transit that didn't exist. They can turn into last mile. They can turn into charter vehicles. And so it's, again, it's all about taking that school bus and giving it a new life, not only making it more efficient and safe for its current mode of transportation, but also using these vehicles as a, a means of, of revenue generation for districts so they can funnel it back into the classroom, which is where it should be in the first place. That, that's something very interesting you mentioned because that's a lot of debate I, I had with the, some, of the, some of the agencies. And it's a two-way debate because in some country I have seen the public transport operator provide the school bus service in the morning and then they take those buses back uh, into the regular route. And I've seen in some city, they have a separate fleet, like in Middle East and in US, you have a two different fleet for school buses and public transit. And like you rightly mentioned, school buses are not being used for, throughout the day. Their duty span is four, five hours morning and in the afternoon and in between they are free and in the evening they are free and it can be opportunity. But how, how do you see that will be possible? Who need to come forward? Will the school bus district will use the buses owned by them or will the public transport, like how that partnership can happen? Yep. So it's worth remembering that putting a stranger in your car or putting a stranger on your couch or in a different room in your house was a crazy idea until the likes of Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, et cetera. And so this yeah. idea of taking these really expensive fixed assets and giving them a new life is really exciting for us. And then creating revenue generating opportunities for an institution like a school district that previously is underfunded in many capacities is also very motivating. Now, this is about, this is not about using public transit buses. This is about using school buses that mm -hmm. are not doing anything for 80% of their life and districts that need more revenue and bus drivers that are looking for more work and using technology to on a driver app, basically give drivers the ability to choose what kind of work they want to do that week on that school bus. Do you want to transport students in the morning and then deliver packages in the afternoon and do a birthday party in the evening? Or do you want to just drive students every single day of the week? And there's so many other, uh, you know, opportunities to leverage a school bus in different ways that, um, you know, what we are excited about uh, uh, and that technology, I think we'll be able to unlock a whole new transportation market. Something new is coming very soon huh, from you, from bus ride. Uh, and, and I feel what you are doing is absolutely right because in a lot of these uh, rural state or suburban cities, there is always a shortage of public transportation. So if you can repurpose some of these school buses during off-peak hours or, or different hours in the evening or during the day for for 
public transportation or providing connectivity last mile connectivity and also you mentioned about cargo service that that will be great and it will unlock a huge market and i think what you said when you installed those tablet it was illegal but now the agencies are funding those whole idea and i think what we are discussing today probably in two years it become a norm and every school is rethinking and and seeing that so I, i'm looking forward i'll keep following what you are doing and and we'll probably have some more discussion on that topic now the other big trend we are seeing in school bus space is electrification there is big money available uh, environment protection agency epa has announced 5 billion clean school bus program to replace existing school buses with zero and low emission one this is a huge push i would say for electrification and uh, the big challenge will be like the range uh, for these buses and how to utilize these assets so are you working very closely with the school districts in different region what are their observation or what are their thought on this about the electrification and how do you see the technology will help to make this transition smoother because you know one thing i was in the morning i was telling somebody that electrification not only just a replacement of vehicle but lot of other things the charging infrastructure the routing the planning to making sure that the bus can complete and in school buses there is also thought going on about a vehicle to grid can you give back electricity to the grid after that so what kind of new feature you are looking at bus right which will be serving only the electric bus or or electric fleet yeah so first off i'm a supporter of fleet electrification however due to the the cost of these vehicles which can be around $400,000 if not more along with the limited range as you alluded to i think we're at least several years to a decade away from full fleet electrification in districts across the US yeah now the driver shortage that we've talked about makes electrification even more difficult because those routes are constantly changing routes are being merged stops are being consolidated broken up and the list goes on which not only extends trip times but cuts into optimal charging windows mm. with the limited range on these electric vehicles it's critical that you know exactly when they're going to be back in the bus lot or near a charger And so all of a sudden when you have this driver shortage and drivers are now on the road for longer trips are going longer field trips go for you know hundreds and hundreds of miles oftentimes across state borders um you start to run into issues of well how far does this charging infrastructure really need to extend and yeah. do you have a fleet that is a makeup of both electric vehicles and traditional so that you can use different vehicles for different purposes that you know we we work with districts that do that but it kind of kills the purpose right and and so all that to say i'm a supporter i just think we are uh quite a ways away from that reality of like full fleet electrification now i i would also say that in order for an electric fleet to be effective you have to understand ridership routing the duration of these routes uh you need to understand like the, you know how these routes are tiered where yeah. these routes start and end their location this is all data that bus right collects as part of our core operating system and that is i think going to be invaluable to the success of a lot of these electrification programs in the future well that's great and and i i am also in the same boat i i agree electrification is important but at the same time it's far away and you can't do at the cost of uh, 
providing access to students. So you can't just say that I just want to do electrification and ignoring the other factor. Like you mentioned, the, the driver shortage is the biggest issue and providing on-time buses or, or providing on-time service to the student is paramount rather than right now other stuff. And once you solve those challenges in side by side, you can have transition over the period of time. You can't just think overnight that all the buses will be replaced. No, that's great. Thanks thanks for sharing that. And, and what you mentioned is very important. You have that data. And if the school district is planning to go for electrification, you can share that knowledge and intelligence, what range they require, uh, how frequently the bus need to change the route, what what can be the their longest route and the time span and all. So that will be critical for the school district to understand. And I think that can you can kind of create a simulation software for them to understand how to do the transition possible. No, great. I mean, great to learn uh, about the school transportation market. Now, I want to spend some time to learn more about your entrepreneurial side. And I must say, I'm very impressed. I, I spoke to you a couple of years back. But you launched your company at the age of 18 in 2018 and in, you raised Series A at the age of 23. So young, man. I'm so impressed. Like, how did you manage to took things off the ground and you are already talking about product market fit and, and expanding the service? So already at this very young age, you have gone through one of the biggest disruption of our lifetime, global pandemic. And you launched company in 2018 after two years pandemic hit, all the school services, buses stopped, there was no movement and everything shut down. How did you manage to sail through that period? Because I'm I'm pretty sure there must be a lot of thought coming in your mind, whether you took a right decision or whether you should continue to spend time. And also it was very impossible to meet employees. And I know you were working with some employee remotely and I saw some of your picture when you met them first time after the pandemic uh, uh, restriction were uplift. And you worked with them for so long, but you never met them. So very curious to know what are your entrepreneurial learning lesson at this very young age and with this pandemic and disruption? Yeah, I think when you ask, how did you sail through that period? I'll just preface what I'm about to say with there wasn't a day that I wasn't hyper paranoid about how are we going to make it through today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. Yeah. And frankly, we were fundraising during a lot during the peak of COVID. The day that we closed our f seed financing round, we hit 100 rejections, not like email passes and rejections. I'm talking about conversations. And each one of those rejections could have been one meeting or it could have been four meetings deep. So this is several hundred calls of investors telling you K-12 is going to be remote forever. School buses are literally not on the road right now. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> and our market, again, was completely offline. And so we had a month and a half of runway before we ran out of cash. And our largest customer had smoking and melting tablets of ours in their vehicles. Hmm. So just to like lay the foundation for the paranoia that was on display day in and day out and the incredible persistence and perseverance that every single bus right team member had to get through that period is just an unbelievable moment of, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I owe everything to our team for getting us through that and, and still seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And so, you know, against that backdrop, we decided to stay true to our vision while finding unique ways to leverage bus right to help communities across the US. So for example, 
you know, we ended up partnering with, you know, an oyster company, uh, donut company, cafes, et cetera, to, you know, route, track, and deliver over $300,000 worth of goods to several thousand homes, hospitals, community centers, because a lot of these companies that previously sold wholesale yeah. now have to deliver right to your doorstep. Well, that's an incredible logistical challenge. How do those drivers that you don't have know where they're going? How do you know who you can actually serve? Mm. Uh, how do your customers get real-time visibility into where their quote-unquote package is? And so it was a, I mean, it was an incredible period of like, we turned into a full-blown logistics center for many small businesses. And while it was incredibly fulfilling, there wasn't a day that went by where, again, we're looking at shrinking runway. We're looking at tablets that are being used in some of our fleets to deliver meals yeah, to flyer uh, that, that, frankly, get their meals from school. Otherwise, they can't afford it. So, you know, they were using our tablets for that. So, like, we were spread out across multiple logistics challenges and, and markets and, and sectors. But I think everything came back to no matter what, we were doing a lot of this work to harden the core product that we were building because we knew that when school buses came back uh, you know, online, if that was in 10 years or a year, that we would be ready with a product to meet the heightened demands and needs mm -hmm. uh, that, that would be present as a result of, of COVID and the challenges that we're now experiencing. So we made another bet in that world and mm -hmm. it was life or death for the company and it, and it turned out to be the, the right decision at least uh, for, for the moment. So- Huh, that was that was a tough period, and I don't always want to relive that. But thanks for bringing me back for a second. Yeah, no, I I, I can imagine like uh, you have to quickly pivot and do something to bring some cash to keep company afloat. And what you mentioned about uh, having that, you know, persistence and perseverance, like to continue with your whole vision, and reaching out to investor at that moment, I can imagine when they were saying everything is shut down. What are you doing? Why why you are building that company? And and still you need to be motivated and do that. Now the next question I want to ask you is because like you already mentioned, you got hundred rejection when you were raising seed round. In fact, I saw the LinkedIn post when one of your early backer he said he just gave you money over the Zoom call and he was not sure whether it's a real company or not or what you guys are doing. But he said I just decided to back. But you actually started company you mentioned in the beginning uh, with uh, 2500 check from winning the husky startup challenge that kind of work as a seed money for your company and recently closed a series a round of seven million dollars so you have come a long way from from that journey so many congratulations to you as well as to your team like you mentioned that the team play a big role now everybody is talking about funding winter but but i tell people that if you have a good idea things will work so can you share some of your lesson while raising the seed and series A funding? And do you have any kind of checklist for other founder who are in the same boat, like getting hundred rejection and still continue with their idea? I mean, hats off to you because it's not easy. I know people get two, three rejection and they start doubting about their, their whole thing, but you continue the journey. So what was your secret? Yeah. I don't know if I have a silver bullet for you, but you have to be, you have to have conviction that the pain that you're trying to solve is so difficult for a large number of people. And mm -hmm. if you solve it, you are eliminating a lot of pain. Now we could talk about what that specific impact is depending on the pain you're solving. But before and after the pandemic, it was very clear to me that these folks 
are underserved, they're underappreciated, and the pain they deal with is not being served by anyone well. And so we took it upon ourselves to do whatever we could as a company, whether it was take 100 rejections or deal with smoking tablets or many other issues that we run into to really make sure that we can ultimately end up serving our customers. Now, just as a recap, we raised our seed round in the peak of COVID, like I mentioned, school buses weren't on the road. We raised our series A during what is cited as the most difficult time to raise yep. money over a decade. I promise I didn't time those things, but <laughs> being a first time founder, building in an overlooked market and having to raise money in these difficult times has made us uh, really responsible capital allocators. And as an operator, you're going to run into many near-death moments and what seem to be unlucky moments. Why is this happening to me? But at 23 years old and building a company that serves customers in 23 states and working with brilliant engineers, customer success managers, sellers, designers, serving people you deeply care about, it's easy to see the dark side of building a business, but occasionally you have to smell the roses. And frankly, there's... To, to, be, to even be in this position and to be sitting here right now in a temperature controlled environment, many people over the course of humanity have not been able to say that. So despite mm. the unfortunate quote unquote luck that we had, frankly, I consider myself lucky every day, you know, in, in the spirit of a checklist or resources for founders, I'm always happy to take a deep dive, uh, and go down memory lane, but you know, I'm happy to share that if anyone wants to reach out at Keith at busright.com. If you're not bussing right, you're bussing wrong. That's how to spell it. Uh, it's K-E-I-T-H. That's amazing. No, thanks for thanks for offering that support. And and I think what you said, there are a lot of these dark moments, but once you come out of that, you come stronger. And I was recently reading a lot of biographies about uh, the founder. And one of my favorite is the guy who founded the Legos uh, company. He had nearly three or four death moments. Like his house was burned down. The factory was burned down. He was kind of near bankruptcy and something turned up and he come out of that. And like you said, you raise seed round during height of pandemic and you raise series A, which is the most difficult period to raise funding. Uh, but you come out great out of that. And and I think the biggest point is being a responsible capital allocator. You work with the team in a most capital efficient way. You you try to bring smartest in the team and and let them freedom to to expand. And that's that's something I want to discuss because recently you posted something very interesting on the LinkedIn and you said this year you have closed zero in sale. And you mentioned this as one of the biggest accomplishment of your career. Can you share more about this? How can zero sale is accomplishment and why do you think founders should move away from sale at some point? Founders should never move away from sales, ever. Mm. Their role in the sales process should evolve though. When you, when I say, you know, I was selling, I was the company's first BDR, cold calling, knocking on doors, the company's first account executive, actually working those deals from cold call to close, you know, hundred, hundred rejections from investors pales in comparisons to several hundred, if not thousands of rejections okay. over the course of a year. Right. But all that to say, um, you as a founder, like you need to be the one dialing, knocking on doors and figuring out what is the pain? Is there a market here? What messaging is resonating? And it seems very messy in the moment, but you come out with a appreciation for the strategy of the business and a perspective that is unparalleled. If you don't do that legwork up front, 
the role of a founder, I'll speak only from my experience, is every industry and every founder has different skill sets. But, you know, going from being a strong sales individual contributor, running my own book of business, because that was the only book of business at the company, the only way for us to scale was to bring on other people that were better at that function than me and mm. have them run that playbook and frankly, create their own, you know, revisions here and there to match their own style. Um, so what does my role look like specifically in sales in that vein? Well, you know, now I mainly focus on speaking at conferences, mm. getting an opportunity to speak to hundreds of transportation directors at once and really sharing our origin story, the founding story, why we exist as a business. I think we're so much more than just a technology company. Yeah. We are a product. We are a set of values. We are ears. We, we, we pride ourselves on listening uh, acutely to anyone that we work with. And so set, getting that message out there is a huge responsibility of mine now, not as much the follow-up that is required to close each individual deal. Though I will get involved here and there, um, especially for some strategic and, and larger deals, but needless to say, uh, a founder should never, ever uh, get out of the world of sales. It's just pivot their function in sales. And I think an extension of that thesis is just constantly finding leverage. When you achieve product market fit, you as a founder have been so focused on just rapid execution. How many calls? How many, how many demos? How much ARR am I closing, et cetera? That's how you valued yourself to the business. All of a sudden you reach product market fit. Now your responsibility, in my opinion, is how do you understand the relationship between inputs and outputs, yeah. aka dials to demos, conversion to close deals, et cetera. How does that bubble up to your headcount growth plan? And how does that trickle down to the customer success hiring plan, the product engineer? So now it's about inputs and outputs as opposed to constantly trying to prove so many different hypotheses at once. And so it's about finding leverage. It's yeah. about hiring people that are company builders. It's no longer like everyone needs to be their own little entrepreneur. Company builders, people that are experts at that part of the company building process, they productize those processes, they're learning so that someone else can run with that playbook. And then you all grow bigger and better together and can build a long lasting and enduring business. So uh, needless to say, I mean, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I just find that a founder, even if you are the best engineer, you're the best salesperson, you're the best at whatever craft it is, your impact can only go so far. It's capped. Yeah. So the best thing you can do at that point is find people who are either better than you at that or train and coach people so that they can scale that impact and that you can scale your impact accordingly and the business can grow. Yeah, no, I, I love your I love your point. And and I agree with you. Founders should never move away from sale, but it's the 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 purpose change. And and when you are scaling up a company, it's hard. And that's what I spoke to a lot of founders who are in scale up and they tell me scaling up is even harder. Like launching a company is hard, but scaling up is even harder because like you mentioned, you need to bring the right talent. You need to bring the right purpose, like and make sure the team work together. Uh, together to to achieve that purpose and and finding people smarter than you that's that's hard because uh, sometimes founder have this impression that i'm the smartest in the room and and that's a recipe for for disaster but you need to accept that there are people who are 
have special skill and special function and they can they can do better job no that that's great thanks keith for sharing you want to add something yeah i think the the benefit of being a younger first time founder is that you get to use that as an excuse to during the interview process or just talking to team members really learn from them they mm. are your teacher you only know so much as a first time you know young founder this being your first real professional experience so the more that i learn from someone the more that I want to work with them. If, mm. if if I walk away from that conversation having learned more and what other people might consider being very intimidated by someone else's expertise, that just makes me more attracted to them, right? Mm. Uh, so needless to say, I love, you know, there are parts of the recruiting process that I really enjoy because I constantly look at it from a education perspective and how lucky that I get to speak to hundreds of people that are, you know, brilliant in their craft and use it as a, as a learning opportunity. And the ones who teach me the most are the ones that I want to end up working with. I love that point. The ones you teach you the more, that's the people you really want to work with. Uh, so that's a great point. I mean, I, I love this uh, lesson. It, it's a lesson for me. And it's learning is a two-way process. I always see even the younger people can teach because you you have different vision and you have a different journey. Now, this is my last question. And I know you are building up, you are fully focused on bus ride. What is your vision for the bus ride in next 10 years? And also, how do you see the school transport industry will shape up? Because both are both will go hand in hand. And, and the last point I would say, are you looking to expand internationally, go beyond North America and uh, in some other market? Yeah, school buses will be used for last mile delivery, charter transportation, public transit, transporting students, most importantly. And yeah. we're going to see... Uh, a whole new transportation market built on the backs of existing infrastructure that's laying in plain sight all across the country, whether it's the vehicles themselves, the real estate they sit on, the drivers that are experts in those areas geographically and experts at driving districts that want more money. Back to our previous conversation, a school bus and the people behind it, I think can do so much more than they're currently doing right now. And we want to make them the heroes that they are in their community. And I'll keep saying it over and over again. And and what's your plan to go beyond uh, North America? What's our plan? I think there's a huge opportunity in North America. Uh, I haven't spent enough time abroad to deeply understand those challenges and figure out the similarities and, and difficulties. But if, uh, if, if pain exists out there and we can solve it, uh, I'm not going to say no to helping people. I love that point. It's not just going international for any reason, but if there's a pain exists, you would love to solve it. I love that point. Now, thank you so much, Keith. We had a great conversation so far and we generally end this podcast with have some kind of a rapid fire round. And the purpose of this rapid fire to know a little bit more personal side of you as a person, what do you like? So if you're ready, I would, I would kickstart that. Yeah, happy to. So I know you were very focused on building this company and school transportation, but let's say if you're not in this school transportation space or industry, what other profession you would have selected? Hmm. Wow. Really not, not ready for, for this question. Or I'm sure the ones to follow, but <laughs> if I wasn't in, in this profession, um, I, uh, I would say that the world of hospitality generally excites me. Mm. I used to growing up, you know, work at hotels, resorts. I was a reservation agent in the summers and work front desk at, you know, different hotels and whatnot. And the concept of being able to like the, the, the quick gratification that you get when someone comes to the front desk and either says, 
they're like, we need a room tonight because we need somewhere to stay and here's why, or the towel wasn't folded correctly on my bed. Like you should be fired. I'm half exaggerating there, but being able to solve people's problems and, and change their mood and their day right mm. on the spot and feel like you actually have quite a bit of control over that is a game that I love playing um, and is a game that I think has you know tremendous impact. So uh, all that to say, I think hospitality is, uh, is there's not a ton of innovation there. I think the, the level of personalization that the SaaS world and the technology world more broadly applies to deeply understanding their customers, knowing what they love to eat for breakfast, sending them flowers because of their anniversary, whatever it is, I think that can apply to, to so many uh, uh, other industries, especially hospitality, to make people feel really welcome and at home. And I think being an entrepreneur, you have to make people feel welcome and at home and safe in their job, as a customer, as an investor, like their money is safe with you. And yeah. uh, for the hospitality, I think you have a, a quicker gratification loops. Maybe the impact is slightly different, but that's something that does excite me. So whether it's, you know, running a uh, boutique hotel chain or, you know, B&B uh, uh, brand or, you know, building large scale apartment complexes that focus on community and, and what I don't know, it excites me. <laughs> no, I love that point. I was recently reading this book called uh, Setting the Table, Denny Meyer. And, and this guy is like a guru in hospitality and his whole point is how to make customer feel special. And, and I can resonate with your point when you say, have those small wins, change the mood of customer and doing that. Now, my second question is, I don't know if you travel so much around the world or you've seen so much uh, outside North America, but uh, if you have, like, which is your favorite city in the world? Um, probably the mo most unique I've been to across many uh, categories, Jerusalem. Um, uh. I met bar mitzvah there many, many years ago, and it definitely helped when a bunch of my family members were there. It was a very special moment, but uh, I would say that 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 was unique. I, I definitely want to go back at some point. Unfortunately, I'm terrified of flying, so i got to figure that out first, but yeah, I would say that's probably at the top of the list, and I've been to a number of cities across the, the U.S., and um, there's, I mean, I grew up outside of New York, and, and there's, I don't, feel, I don't think there's another city that offers as much as New York and all the categories yeah. that everyone already knows about, but there are some up and coming cities that I'm excited about. I did recently enjoy, enjoy time in Savannah, which, which surprised me and uh, mm -hmm. Boise, Idaho, and some of the beautiful mountains and scenery and, and landscape they have there is uh, breathtaking. And I don't think people give it enough credit, but yeah, there's a number of others. Uh, uh, that's my answer though. Yeah, no, I love your point about Jerusalem because I've been there. I, I love the city, the vibe, the, the culture, the history. So I, I love history. So when you see so much of history at one place, it, it kind of makes you quite excited. And um, I would say no, nobody has mentioned that city ever in, in my last 40 episode. So that's something very unique because everybody mentioned some city which are renowned, but Jerusalem, I love your, I would love your answer. Which is your favorite book? Oh, there's, there's, <laughs> that's an easy one. Super Pumped, The Founding Story of Uber. Now hmm. I know controversial uh, company for, for many reasons, but what you can't dispute is the tenacity that that company had, the uphill battles that they had to conquer takes a very unique culture and, and leader and uh, 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 community around it to get through. Um, you know, we've been fortunate enough, one of their earliest investors that back then when they were a black car company is one of our first investors. And just to hear and learn about 
you know, their, their origin story and what they had to go through. It gives you confidence as an operator that when you think that there, there's a near death moment coming up, you, um, you'd be surprised at what we as humans are capable of conquering. And uh, they're a great example of that. Amazing. In fact, I've worked with Uber for one year. So I know, I know inside like that hustle was required at that age, because if they didn't hustle, Uber would never be a $80 billion company, what it, it exists today. So there was a lot of, a lot of backstory. You have now five year entrepreneurial journey. You're quite young, but at the same time, what one thing do you wish you should have learned early in life? I mean, this is a question for people who are quite old, but at the same time, you already seen so many things. So what is the one thing you think, okay, I should have learned early in life? Yeah, um, that's tricky. I, I think something I continue to remind myself that I'm still trying to learn and reinforce. I, come, I always come back to this quote that the reward for solving problems is more problems. There's this notion that, oh, when we raise this round of funding, like we're a major success. Or when we, you know, close this big customer, like that's a huge success. Or when we hire this team member and, and the list goes on. And I don't think what people don't focus on enough is that in achieving those milestones, the challenges that you now have to face significantly outweigh any amount of success that you thought was going to be there in the original definition of success. So the way that I look at it is uh, when you raise more money and you bring on that new team member and you're growing, you're just giving yourself an opportunity to be hit in the face with challenges you never even knew could exist on this planet. And it always amazes me how in every corner of the business, there's something that challenges the status quo that pops up um, mm -hmm. that in your heart of hearts, you don't, you didn't even realize could be an issue or could even happen. Um, from team dynamics to product issues to when we have a physical, you know, we have hardware out there in the world and things you never even thought about when you were in Native American reservations with no street legal addresses to the, the list goes on. Yeah. And so you just give yourself an opportunity to solve more problems. And if you don't get sometimes excited about that, uh, then you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah, no, I, I, and that's a, that's a beautiful point. Like reward for solving problems, having more problem. And that's very true. The moment you cross one journey, there is more other journey coming forward. Now, this is my last question. And it's like, if you have some magical power and if you can change one thing in life, what would it be? Yeah, I I'm, I don't think, uh, this is what this is the first thing that comes to mind right now. I mean, I could give you the, the answer that I'm sure a lot of people want, like ending world hunger and you know the, the list goes on. One thing that I think is underrated is the way that we as individuals feel is just on a spectrum of our own life experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And so the pain that I feel right now is only relative to the most and the least amount of pain that I've, that I've ever felt. And yes, I can really try to empathize with people that have dealt with significantly worse, but I do wish there was a sense of deeper empathy that could come if humans could adopt the range of pain and happiness that has occurred across many generations and centuries to re really appreciate how far we've come as a species. And when you're in four walls and temperature controlled environment and you have food every day, like 
that should be a huge success. And we're always constantly racing to the next by and large because our range has changed to match where we've evolved as a species. Man, are you seriously 23? Because what you are saying, I don't think people understand even at the age of 60. So so the deeper empathy mean. In fact, today morning, I was, I was reading news about uh, Libya. There was a flood, 2,000 people killed in that. There was a earthquake in Morocco. 3000 people killed in that and and i had that sense of gratitude in the morning is like man i'm lucky i'm i'm still alive like those people they just lost their life with with just a you know nick of a moment and and they didn't even realize like an earthquake happened 3000 people killed flood happened 2000 people killed and every day morning when we wake up we should feel that man we are lucky we are still alive. We have a roof on our head and we are we are eating our food. So what you said at that deeper empathy, I think that's superb. That that point is, I love that. And if, if people have that deeper empathy, the world problem will be solved. Yeah, and I would add to that, as it relates to being a founder, you often think about the challenges you have to solve in at any point in the future. And it can be overwhelming. And your range because of the pain that you're able to take and the issues that you deal with because you're constantly building this callus right yeah. in your mind david goggins i recently read one of his books he talks about it's about callousing your mind as you grow old it's not about just experiencing things that make you more soft and mm-hmm. uh make your skin even thinner than it already is especially in this, this day and age um but callous you, you can't uh underestimate the impact the, the things that you can conquer as you slowly build more and more callus in your brain, right? Think about when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights for the first time, you're ripped through that skin and yeah. it it really hurts. But the next time you go back and you have a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of a callus there, you keep going, you keep going, but the amount of weight and the amount of pain that you're able to take, because it's not going to cut through that wound anymore because yeah. you already have such a strong foundation. So same goes with, being a founder, like the things that you can stomach just grow tremendously. And no one is born, I believe, with the stomach to tackle what Travis Kalanick at Uber did. He he built that callus through getting knocked in the face many times over. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's so true. I've seen that journey. I, I never get a chance to meet him in person, but I was on some of the call and I, I heard about him a lot from the senior executive he he did something great and and sometimes you know it's like you don't get the full credit and i feel sad because he built something not just a company but the full category of on demand so he opened up opportunity for many more people so thank you so much keith i mean i really love this conversation great insight i don't know what is your learning but i learned a lot from this conversation like you said uh, i would say i met uh, something somebody who is smarter than me and uh, wish you good luck in your journey and uh, keep me posted how you're working with public transportation and school bus that's that's the idea i love thank you so much i appreciate it thanks for having me on thank you for listening to this podcast if you like this episode please don't forget to give us a five star rating as it will help us to spread our message if you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast please feel free to reach out to us at info@theratemobility-innovator.com i look forward to see you next time thank you